Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Manisha. Thank you, Karnavadri. Thank you all for coming. So, the talk tonight that I'm going to share with you, Living What We Love, a response to the four sites. I was going to call it um, How to Be Sick. Um, <laughs> I had a, a spiritual friend in the order had a few words with me that it might not be the most attractive talk, so it's a uh, <laughs> title. So, Living What We Love. Um, yeah. Dhamma Kamo Bhavana Hoti. Dhamma Kamo Bhavana Hoti. He or those who love the Dharma, they are the ones who grow. Those who love the Dharma, those are the ones who grow. So, living what we love, living the Dharma, loving the Dharma, and all that we've got in common. I, I'm imagining that's part of the reason that you're here tonight, um, listening to this talk or listening to it at home. So what does it mean to live the Dharma, to love the Dharma? We're going to have, have a look at that. And the words uh, Dharma Kamo, Kamo means love, but it means a, a passionate love. It means that we passionately love the Dharma. And to love something, we want to spend time with it, to, to, to talk about it, to listen to it, to share it with our friends, uh, to practice it. So um, Sangharachita talks a little bit about this uh, loving the Dharma and he describes it like for us to imagine if there's anybody that you're well, not, not quite fallen in love with but you're attracted to somebody and you see them maybe on the metro and you think oh, it's the time uh, yeah, I could uh, arrange to have the same tram tomorrow as well and you sort of try to find your ways of uh, being around that person uh, somehow, you might bump into them again by the smiles I imagine you might have had some experience of that yeah, he says you might even arrange things so that you're travelling that way again on the same time the next day. Yeah, so the talk's quite practical. Practical ways to, uh, well, how to practice the Dharma if you're if you're sick or dying, which we all are, uh, in, or in old age, um, or birth. Actually, people who are, who are born, you know, babies. As Manisha mentioned, I'm working uh, in healthcare, and there are. Uh, babies who don't make it, I'm sure you may have some awareness of that situation. Yeah. So Sangharachit again, he says, if you love the Dharma, you will progress. And one should think of, of getting involved in Buddhism more in terms of falling in love in the most highly positive way possible. So let's talk about love. <laughs> falling in love. Yeah, and if you if you love the Dharma, here's here's some ways that we'll look at tonight to to live the Dharma. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna gonna there'll be principles and practices, and uh, some stories from the Pali Canon. Um, yeah, and it's it's well the how to be sick. One of the stories is a sutta, and you may know the sutta. I'll, I'll tell you shortly. You may know the sutta and. The most common part of it I, I knew as well, but I didn't know the second part of it, which is actually instructions how to be sick, how to be a, a good patient, or how to be a nurse if, if some one of your friends is sick. And that was sort of the inspiration for the talk. So birth, old age, sickness and death, and what it means to, to, to develop a spiritual practice. And Manisha mentioned the Sangravastus, which I will say something about, and the other set of practices that, that really... Um, can help us to meet these uh, for, for well, living and dying, um, being alive and dying, uh, are the Brahma Viharas. And I'll say a little bit about what they are um, as we go. Well, Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Unupeka, some of you know, and I'll explain a little bit about them. In fact, I might even have the, the uh, description up while I speak. What I'm going to talk about tonight, skillful means to practice um, the bodhisattva path. Yeah? And it may create conditions for the arising of the bodhicitta by using the Brahma-viharas and the Sangravastus. So, the human body at peace with itself is more precious than the rarest gem. The human form is one with difficulty. It is easy to lose. Cherish your body. It is yours this one time only. Therefore, set your goal, 
make use of each day and night to achieve it. Yeah. So that's by Song Kapa. And we often, in, in this Triratna movement, we sometimes have a, a puja, or we use these verses at the start of the day, before our meditation, uh, this, this, this poem, or the four reminders, uh, life is precious, uh, and having a human body is rare. Uh, the second one, it's everything's impermanent and death is certain. The third, karma, the fact of karma, and we can abandon unskillfulnesses. Uh, and four, the, the defects of samsara, so we, there is greed, hatred and delusion. And we have the opportunity to transform ourselves, to become free, if we practice now. So, I've said that it's important that we live what we love, that we know what we love, if we love the Dharma, create the conditions to, to practice that. And we can use these skillful means, the Brahma Viharas and the Sangravastus, generosity, kindly speech, beneficial activity and exemplification to model or to be how we are in the world as Dharma practitioners. Yeah. So. Hmm. Your job is to listen during this talk. Your job is to listen and if I'm telling stories, you can see if you can spot any one of these Brahma Viharas or Sangravastus in the story. And if you, haven't, if you don't hear it mentioned in the story, you can bring yourself in and actually see what you could do in the situation. So listen out for what you might, when you might practice them. Yeah, so we've all been born. We're all, we all have a body, a human body, and we can acknowledge the gratitude for that. So I'm going to um, just start with a little bit of self-connection for myself and for my own benefit and for your benefit in, in being receptive and listening to me. Um, and it's, it's a bit of a, a little meditation that I heard by someone who teaches the compassionate mind training, Paul Gilbert. Um, and for me, it's a little bit like the Metta Sutta, which I'm sure you know this must be done by one who kens his good. So I'm going to invite you to, if you like, to close your eyes. If you're listening to this on a podcast in your car, keep driving. Uh, but while you're here or you're, you're in a position to do it, just close your eyes. And like in the Metta Sutta, where we hear that just as a mother watches o'er her child, her only child, so long as she doth breathe, so let a man practice unto all that lives an all-embracing mind. So just like in the Metta Sutta, a mother watching o'er her child, we can be present, listen to the sounds, Outside the room, inside the room, in each other, in our own body. Allowing sounds to come and go. And if we can imagine, with our eyes closed, looking down on us sitting here, standing here, sitting here. Looking down on your own body and your posture as you sit there, seeing your chest rise and fall with the breath. Looking with soft eyes, soft eyes as if the eyes of a mother watching her newborn baby's chest rise and fall with each tender breath. Allow that quality of tenderness in our own hearts. Gratitude for each breath. That breath you just took, that's a gift. So if you want to open your eyes, being as you are, thank you. So, some of you know that um, we're talking about old age, sickness, death, dying. Uh, that I've had, and Manisha mentioned, I've been a hospital patient for some of my uh, 44 years. And I just, I just learned actually this week that um, it's 20 years ago that I had a, a brain hemorrhage. Uh, 
there's a kind of 50-50 touch and go chance of living or dying and I chose to have an operation that that was the risk and uh, here I am 20 years later, very grateful um, and in the last almost three years, just two and a half years nearly coming on three years I uh, had a kidney, my kidney's out it'll be the end of next month, it'll be three years then I was on dialysis for a while and uh, I had a transplant via a live kidney donation, someone uh, from the Sangha uh, so another Buddhist had given me one of her kidneys so uh, I feel a lot of gratitude to life and still being alive so um, but again, Katanyata quality of gratitude for gifts received so life doesn't always begin at birth we get other chances at life there's opportunities to live each day each moment and I want to share with you uh, this is a a book that was given um, by a kidney foundation or an organ donation foundation called Thank You for Life and I'm not going to I didn't I'm not going to give you a letter that I wrote to my, my kidney donor, but this is somebody else's letter, just to let you know what it's like to be close to dying and then uh, have another chance. Dear family, on January the 19th, 2008, I received a liver from your loved one. I might cry. You might cry. It's okay. I've been meaning to write this letter from the moment I was called for my operation knowing then that I may not even be the most suitable recipient for that liver. But as it happened, I was. I suppose this letter may be difficult to read. It's been difficult to write. It's both painful and joyous. The reason I'm writing is to thank you. Thank you is an expression which is used quite often and sometimes just in passing. This is not that kind of thank you. It's a different thank you, one that defies English, or for that matter, any language on earth. But how does one say thank you to someone who, because of you and your loved one's generosity, I am alive today and continue living? This is not simply a gift of an organ, it's a gift of life. I don't know how one can truly express one's feelings in words for giving someone a life. I can, however, but try. I must try, because I think you should know that this life that was saved is a life of promise. Words are not adequate, but that's all I can use to attempt to express my gratitude to you and your loved one, part of whom gave me life. How do I share with you that you have given me back my life? In fact, what you gave me is a better life. My wife and family also thank you. I think you should know that not one day goes by that I do not think of the generous spirit of yours and the man who enabled me to be healthy again. I had mixed emotions during that ride to hospital, not because I was scared or happy, but because I knew on that day, somewhere, a family lost a precious beloved person in their life. My heart is with you and is still with you. Your loved one is with me, literally, with every breath I take. I promise to honour you both with everything I do, especially for others who have suffered, like me. If you have any special requests at all, just let me know. With all my heart, I wish you peace. I wish you love. Thank you. Hmm. So life, birth, life. Uh, so this person writing this, or any of us, you know, can feel that we can. You're touching it now. That gratitude for life, our own and others. Yeah, and Howard Thurman uh, talked about um, well, giving life. You know, give your aliveness. Give your aliveness. So part of me, I'm, I'm going to read this, but part of me, I'm just going to be alive with you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I need that. Uh, Russell, Russell. Um, so Howard Thurman says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes people come alive and go and do it. Because the world, what the world needs is people who have come alive. So ask yourself, what makes you come alive? What makes you come alive? Are you doing it? 
Are you in touch with it? If it's the Dharma, hearing, sharing, loving the Dharma, make sure you create the conditions for yourself to practice it. So for me, creating the conditions, yeah, living in community, coming to the centre, uh, training as a chaplain, who and I can go and sit with people who, who don't know if they're going to live or die. Yeah, being with spiritual friends. Yeah, making cups of tea, being made cups of tea as well. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and and loving, loving it, loving, you know, pain, joy, and sorrow woven fine. Yeah. Connecting with our practice, connecting with my practice, but finding the balance between self and other. You know, I can't. We can't just go all out for for people if we're not first caring for ourselves. And I remember hearing a film called City of Joy. Um, well, film in, in the film City of Joy, a woman, uh, Pauline Collins, and it stuck with me for decades, for years. And she said, yeah, she played Joan in the City of Joy. She said, I'm not very good at loving just one person. It seems so much better when you spread it around. And I went, yeah, yeah, someone else thinks like that. <laughs> so, felt, yeah, that's, that's been part of my life. Uh, and it's a balance. My practice is to balance uh, all stages of, of metta and compassion with so self practicing it for myself so that practicing it with others can be stronger. Yeah, I need to be willing to, to go there in myself if I'm able, if I want to be present with others. So, in terms of the life of the Buddha, Siddhartha, um, when he left the, the palace as a young boy and he, he saw old age, sickness and death and he was shocked with the fact of suffering and he wanted to find a way to the end of it. And then he saw the holy man who, who radiated calmness and it suggested to Siddhartha that, there, that he had somehow come to terms with the fact of suffering. So he set his goal and he used every day and night to achieve it. Yeah. So have we done that? Do we do that? In the light of knowing about old age, sickness and death, what's our goals? So the first, the first of the four sites that he saw, old age, um, I looked to the suttas and what do the, the Pali scriptures say about old age? And there's a sutta called the Jara Sutta. And I'm just going to take a drink of water. I've got water in the shrine. Yeah. So in the Jara Sutta... Um, the, the householder went to the Buddha and he said, look, I'm an old man. I don't often get a chance to see you. Uh, I'm get, I think I'm going to die soon. Will you give me some teaching that will help me? Um, just instruct me um, for, oops, for long-term happiness. Yeah, and, and the Buddha thought for a moment and he, he looked at Nakulapitta and he said, so it is, householder. The body is afflicted, weak, and encumbered so should you train yourself and what he says is even though I may be afflicted in body my mind will be unafflicted even though I may be afflicted in body my mind will be unafflicted that is how you should train yourself so how do we do that how do we help our our, mind become afflicted and Sariputra was around at the time and and he said that someone who's well well versed in Dhamma and has regard for men of integrity doesn't fall into sorrow, distress, lament in the face of death. So someone who's well versed in Dhamma and has regard for integrity. Yeah. So we can practice the Dhamma now. Have regard and see illness as an opportunity and old age as an opportunity to practice for being with adversity and practice shanti which is tolerance uh, in the face of suffering or being injured or sick so it's not about why me, why is this happening to me it's actually about what can I do about this how can I respond to this, how, how do I meet this how can it be a practice for me yeah and that, that's very much a, a, a 
that's personal as well actually how, how do we what are the ways that we best respond to this situation not denying not about denying what's happening actually saying okay this is happening acknowledging it uh, being with it and, and watching it change actually I have quite a strong image for um, what I what I was doing when, when I was in, having kidney failure I'd get some news something would be going on I'd, I'd be having my usual hospital um, checks and I'd cut, if, it, if I had news I'd come home I've got a big comfy chair and I'd just lie in that chair I'd let it embrace me sink into the chair have a good cry and, and grieve, you know, grieve some function, loss of function, or, or not being able to come to the centre or commit to doing things with people, you know. Uh, and there was some sadness, so I allowed that sadness and, and honoured it, you know. Like Rumi's guest house, greet it at the door, welcome it in. I really could honour it. And once I gave it that honour, I was able to live with that with and allow joy, actually. I was really honouring myself and my, the truth of my experience yeah so Roka in letters to our young poet he says what is required of us is that we love the difficult and learn to deal with it love the difficult and learn to deal with it in the difficult are the friendly forces the hands that work on us and then he goes on later in another part of the letter to say and the point is to live everything and that's been common when I've been writing the talk. Live everything. Amitishiri, live everything. Yeah. So, old age. Yeah, that will appear. Old age and sickness uh, and dying. You know, there's a lot of the teachings that are applicable throughout the um, all of it. Spiritual practice is applicable to all suffering. So, one of the, yeah, as I said, one of the reasons for this, this talk was a sutra that I... Um, read where Sangharashta uh, tells a story about a monk with dysentery. It's called in his um, writings A Case of Dysentery. And he says, the passage begins rather dramatically. Now at that time, a certain brother was suffering from dysentery and lay where he had fallen down. Lay where he had fallen down in his own excrements. And he said, now that's quite a dramatic picture. There's this monk, this brother, a bhikkhu. We don't know if he's old or young, but because um, he's not well, he's lying in his own excrement and the monks haven't tended to him. So I'm not going to say much about that part of the story because that's available on Free Buddhist Audio. Um, but he did, he did say, I have dysentery, Lord. And the Buddha said, is there anyone there taking care of you, brother? No, Lord. Why is it, brother, that the brethren do not take care of you? I am useless to the brethren, Lord, therefore the brethren do not care for me. So this is a story about the Buddha going round the Viharas, checking how people are, how the monks are, they're getting on well, and he sees this. He doesn't judge, he just asks, what's the story here? Uh, and then he goes, he says, Anada, go and get some water and we'll clean up the brother. So he does, and he, he gets on with it. And then he goes to talk to the monks about it and he asks them and they said well he's sick he's not any use to us and the Buddha talks about the skill is the skillful you know actually to, to treat a person as a thing is to treat them unethically he's not any use to us to treat a person as a thing is to treat them unethically and that's how apparently the, the monks were treating the sick monk he wasn't any use to them um, so in the spiritual community, um, it's, it's more than just use. Yeah, even if we've um, people have got talents and we know them for their talents, um, we, we need to see them for more than that. There must be kindness between us, spiritual friendship, as there was between the Buddha and Ananda. And Sangharachita talks about it in terms of two principal aspects of treating uh, other persons as persons. These are communication and taking delight. These two are the essence of friendship. Communication and taking delight. And the Buddha says, if you will not take care of one another, who else, I ask, will do so? If order members do not love one another, who else will love them? If order members do not inspire one another, who else will inspire them? 
if order members do not cannot be happy with one another, who else can they be happy with? If they can't come together with one another, who else can they come together with? Perhaps we should enjoy one another's company more, appreciate one another more, value one another more. And again, we, we, we come back to the, the Sangra Havastus, the, the means of unification. Inspiration is exemplification and beneficial activity. May we spark one another off by, by, by our practice. Uh, may we speak kindly, which could also be appreciative joy, which could be mudita. It's uh, celebrating the rejoicing in our friends' merits and all being an act of, of metta, of kindness, or giving time to our friendships. So, in old age and in sickness, in this case, the case of dysentery, um, there are actually five, what's it called, five um, qualities for a person who's sick that's hard to tend to. So this is, the, this is actually the sort of core of what, what inspired me to give the talk on this, how to be sick or living what we love, a response to the four sights. So a sick person endowed with five qualities is hard to tend to. Okay, now, I want you to think about what, what you're like when you're sick or what your friends like when, when they're sick. How are you with them? <laughs> we've, got, we've got someone who's not very well in our community <laughs> coughing here. Um, yeah, well, maybe that's not a good link to what I'm about to say. But <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so uh, a sick person endowed with five qualities is hard to tend to. Someone who doesn't know, one, what's good for him. Two, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the, fact, the opposite as well in a minute. Someone who, who doesn't know how much or how little of it is good for him, him or her. He doesn't take his medicine, three. <laughs> Four, he doesn't tell his symptoms as they arise, whether they are better, worse, or the same. And five, he can't endure bodily feelings, pain, a fierce pain, racking, repellent, disagreeable, or life-threatening. So that's someone who's hard to attend to. And the opposite of true is, is true So for one who's easy to attend to. He does know what's good for him. He knows how much or how little of it. He does take his medicine, does tell his symptoms as they arise, and can endure anything from painful to life-threatening bodily feelings. So, do you recognise any of them when you're ill? You, you don't tell your symptoms as they are? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm just going to... Do. And, and I recognise it in myself, you know. Uh, uh, my friends would ask me, Amitashuri, are you sure that really you should be uh, going dancing or whatever I was, whatever is going to do, going away for the weekend? Is that a good idea? I'm saying, yeah, I'm really well. Mm-hmm. When actually, uh, what, what helped me was taking responsibility. Um, you know, who, who was there to pick up the pieces if I, if I overdid it and I got ill? You know, what is that? Is that an act of kindness towards my friends? No. So really, do look at ourselves. What are you like when you're sick? Are you taking responsibility for yourself and the effect that it has on others? And watch guilt getting in as well because, uh, I mean, I didn't want that I was feeling guilty about going away for going dancing or whatever. It, it needs to be authentic, you know, to really check, take care of yourself, check in with yourself. Is this good for me? How much? How little? Um, yeah. So, and the, 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 the fact of nursing, well, <laughs> not, not nursing, but being a nurse or being a good friend to somebody who's not well or taking care of, of your friend um, in, the, in this sutta, the Kucha Vikara Vatu, the sutta about the case of dysentery, a nurse who's not good at mixing medicine, someone who doesn't know what's good or not good for the patient, i.e. they bring things that are, are not good for them and they take away things that are, or three, is motivated by his own gain, whatever that might look like, getting away from work early, or a quantity rather than quality, rather than genuine goodwill. You know, are we motivated by genuine goodwill when we're caring for a friend? Four, gets disgusted at cleaning up excrement, urine, saliva, or vomit. Well, and five, isn't competent at instructing, rousing, or encouraging the patient on a proper occasion with a talk on Dhamma. 
Really? No, that I know you you laugh. You laugh. And actually what is important when, when somebody's not well, do we sympathize? Do we collude? What are we doing? Or do we say, okay, what's what's actually going on here? You know, being present with them and paying attention. And and that, you know, that gives the opportunity to, to actually practice these. It could be um yeah, maybe not a talk or a discourse in Dhamma. Um <laughs> But practicing the Dhamma, being with our own experience to be present to whatever darknesses or uh, things are going on for our friend. Uh, so a nurse that, that is um, capable to, is uh, fit to attend the sick, can mix medicine, does know what's good for the patient, is motivated by goodwill, can clean up <laughs> and is competent, competent at encouraging the patient with the Dhamma. With dhamma. So yeah, do you? How are you when you're sick? And it is an inevitability of life. And the sutta suggests in trying out these methods. Also, it says try out methods you wouldn't normally. You know, chant mantras or uh, I know homeopathy gets a lot of stick, but actually, or herbal medicine or massage or whatever it is that you decide to try in the, in the dharma, it does say try it out. If it doesn't work, then. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, karma's working anyway. Accept it. It says that in different words, but like that. Are you easy to attend to? Are you an easy patient to attend to? Are you receptive? Um, do you know what's good for you? Do you take the medicine? So, in the Nakula Pitta Sutta, uh, when, when um, he talked about the mind is afflicted, the mind is unafflicted. You know, the body may be weak, but may that your mind will be unafflicted. And I'd add, I'd add also practice the Brahma Viharas, even if you're lying there. Just just practice the Brahma Viharas. You know, have compassion for your situation. Or you're sitting with a friend. Be present, you know. Look for joy that you're actually just sitting there, even if it's in silence. And again, that's, that's um, when I've been ill and people have come and visited me. It's been the most beautiful when someone will just sit and meditate with me actually it's been so supportive someone to sit and meditate with me and it's a gift if someone a patient in hospital allows me to do that or to chant yeah or just be with them just be with them yeah yeah so I'm, I'm meeting even during my illness I did meet people who were sick I actually heard someone in a bed opposite me die um, just as her daughter went to the canteen her daughter had been sitting vigil for hours and just when she left the breathing had been changing and then the patient died maybe that's she waited till she'd gone I don't know but actually uh, or being there when somebody's the, the, the doctors are discussing do they turn off the life support machine for a baby uh, yeah so it's happening all the time so practicing, practicing these Brahma Viharas in whatever situation. Um, I'm working on, on meeting people that I don't know. Uh, we've got our third stage of the meta, the neutral people, everyone that we don't know are neutral people. And I'm working, I do see my job, my role, um, not, not just as a chaplain, as a, as a friend to many, um, to bring the third stage to be second stage. You know, to be a friend, and it, after after it doesn't even after a few minutes, sometimes that connection with uh, a patient or someone is really be- can be really beautiful. Just that connection, feel like a good friend. And chap- the word chaplaincy is a, is not necessarily a Buddhist word, but we translate it in my training. It was called spiritual Kalyana Mitra Network, spiritual friendship. So that's how I understand what I do as a spiritual friend. Yeah, and there's there's um, Havis. I've not written this poem down, but um, it's when you are lonely or in darkness, I wish I could show you the astonishing light of your own being. Really? I wish that for all of you, all of us. You know, may we see that, I don't know if it's astonishing, but may we see that boundless light of our own being. And to meet each other with that, that intention, that in our hearts, how amazing. So there's three types of patients in the in Nikaya. There's a patient who doesn't recover. 
whether or not uh, they get medical attention, they don't recover. There's a patient who will recover, whether or not they get medical attention. And there's a third type of patient who recovers only when they get the correct medical care and attention. So that's why the Buddha suggested that because of that third type of patient, everyone who's ill gets the best medical treatment, uh, food, water and, and nursing care. Unfortunately for the NHS at the moment, uh, that is possible. So we've talked about old age, we've talked about sickness and how to be a friend to ourselves and to others if they're sick or dying. And Anattapindika was dying and he went to the Buddha and no, Sariputra visited Anattapindika, who you may have heard of. Um, and he told Sariputra that his pains were excruciating and increasing. And Sariputra delivered a discourse reminding Anattapindika of his own virtues. Sariputra explained that the uninstructed worldling who has no faith in the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha and who has not cultivated virtuous moral habits goes into a state of woe on the destruction of the body. But Anattapindika has unshakable conviction in the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha and has cultivated noble moral habits. Sariputra told him when these noble qualities are mindfully appreciated, the pains would subside. Okay, now this is really important. This is the um, exalting someone in the Dharma. When we remember the noble qualities that we have cultivated, when we remember that we're practicing the precepts, that we're following the Eightfold Path, that we practice the Brahma Viharas, that we, we're bringing together people on the basis of friendship, um, or practicing the Dharma, then that lifts our state. That can lift our state. And, and there's a lot of stories in the Pali Canon about people's states being changed when we're reminded of our virtues and of our conviction in the three jewels. Yeah. And Bhante, Bhante calls that, that that communication and taking delight. You know, celebrate communication, taking delight. Hmm. Yeah. So he, Anatopindico is an easy attend to patient. He does what's good for him. He does tell his symptoms and he does bear excruciating pain. And Sariputra was, had all the qualities of a good nurse, a good friend, dana, mudita, and equanimity, and he communicates and takes delight. So the Buddha suggests that we practice now while we can, really, and even while we're ill, not let illness stop us from practicing, because we might actually, we will, we might get worse, and it might be even harder, so the, the chances of, of gaining higher, higher spiritual attainments diminish. Mm, so... If we are ill or dying, practice the Brahmaviharas. If another is, practice the Brahmaviharas and remind them, remember, remind them of their virtues and their conduct. And we've heard, well, I, I, I was thinking about this other story about a um, monk that got bitten by a snake when he was listening to the Buddha and he just sat, sat with it and the poison started going around his body and he was starting to feel pain of, of the venom toxifying him. And then he reminded, he was reminded of, since he was ordained, uh, of how ethical he was. He, he found that resource in himself to think, well, since my ordination, I've, I've, I've really been really clearly ethical. And he started to feel the satisfaction and joy for his own conduct. And it had an effect. It chemically changed the, something in his body and it acted as a, 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 an anti-venom. And he, cured, he got cured. Yeah, and it reminded me of, of, of these articles or news stories I'm hearing at, at, at the moment of brain uh, neuroplasticity. How when we meditate, we, can, we actually change the chemistry in the brain. So it's, here's teachings in the Pali Canon that talk about us doing that, changing the chemistry in the body to, to bring about healing. Yeah. Yeah, so the Dhamma it doesn't tell doesn't tell the patient or the practitioner us the meaning of sickness, but it does or, or tell us what we need to do, but it does present a, a path of action in sickness and death. So yeah, there's and there's a story of the, the two arrows, the king and the two arrows are the one arrow when he gets shot and he doesn't uh, the king he doesn't say, Okay, 
what's the teaching? He said, no, no, don't, don't, don't take it out yet. I need to know what cast the archer came from, what type of feathers were used, and who made the bow. And the medic says, if we're going to answer those questions, you're just going to die. You know, so, so just, yeah. And death now. We look at what happens in death. And Havis, again, the Sufi poet, he says, the subject tonight is love. And for tomorrow night as well. As a matter of fact, I know no better topic for us to discuss until we die. So, the stories about death in the Pali Canon. Well, one of our, our key ones that we all probably know is the story of Kisagotami. Yeah. And the skillful means that the Buddha used um, to help her see that death happens to everybody. It'll happen to us. It'll happen to us all. Hmm. And it matters the state of mind we're in when we die. We can do something about that now. We're doing it. We're here. We're doing it. And at this point, I want to say that uh, when I was preparing my talk, I thought, death, I'm just, I'll read. And what, what can I say about death? Some of you might have come to the workshop that Siddhi Sambhava did here. Um, there's so much Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, Tibetan Book of the Dead, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's materials. Uh, so much could be said about death. And I'm alive. Uh, and today, I thought, I'll just do a reading. And it'll be okay. And it's not like that. It's not like that. Uh, uh, I'm sure you know our friend Izzy. She's not here tonight, um, and she's with her family. And in the last few days, uh, since Tuesday actually, her dad got moved into a hospice. Uh, Keith, his name is, and her mum's called Pat. And since Friday, he's been gradually getting worse, and last night and this morning, and when I spoke to her this afternoon, it's, he's maybe breathing his last breaths. So being with a friend... It's such a, a gift for me, actually, to be able to walk with my friend as her fa- father dies and what she does. How does she, 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 she wants to know what she can do, how she can practice. And I don't have the greatest wisdom on that. But I'm practicing and I can be authentic and respond with my heart, uh, practicing the Brahma Viharas. And that has an effect. It has an effect on Izzy. And is he practicing? It has an effect on her family, on her dad, and, and hopefully his own his his state when he dies. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention to mention then and to bear them in mind. Yeah. I mean, even now we don't know how many breaths he has left. But we can help people, we can change our own state and we can help other people change their state. And there is, a st- there is also a story, uh, Dananjani, the tax inspector, um, he was near the end of his life and he was in the hell realms, he was in a terrible state, he had all these misgivings. He had been a practitioner and then he got involved in things and he was unscrupulous in his work and he was really ill and Sariputra guided him. Um, during this crucial period before his death, he guided him and he reminded him um, of the of his practice of the Brahmaviharas and the, eight, the Noble Eightfold Path. And he actually guided him through conversation with him from lower lower states to to a higher realm. And apparently, as it says, the story goes, he had a happy rebirth. Yeah. So, so give people a, a Dharma discourse or talk about something that they know about that that you can connect with. Yeah. And I'm coming to near the end. So, oh yeah, as a, as a chaplain, there's something. This is not. I, I thought about reading this to you and asking you if this was Dharma. Uh, I will, but it's, I'll tell you actually. It's actually from the NHS for Scotland 2009 paper on chaplaincy. <laughs> <coughs> but I could have said it's from the Bodhisattva Ideal. I think. I need to recheck it, but for me, I read this in the in the big document. In this, this, um, what is it that we are offering as a chaplain, or in Dharmic terms, a spiritual friend to those who are in need? 
That care which recognises and responds to the needs of the human spirit when faced with trauma, ill health or sadness. And can include the need for meaning, for self-worth, to express oneself, for faith support, perhaps for rites of prayer or sacrament or simply for a sensitive listener. Spiritual care begins with encouraging human contact and compassionate relationship and moves in whatever direction need requires. Spiritual care begins with encouraging human contact and compassionate relationship and moves in whatever direction need requires. It does it for me. <laughs> um, that, that means a lot that I can live in the world to, to, to offer that to, to each other. Yeah. So, this, not from the Bodhisattva ideal, but from the NHS for Scotland, Education for Scotland. But this is, you might recognise a, a, a verse from this. This is one of the thing, the, the Dharmic uh, relationship to that text, to that um, education quote uh, that I relate to and it's from the Avatamsaka Sutra and it's Samantha Badra's vow his ninth vow he says I will accord with and take care of all these many kinds of beings providing all manner of services and offerings for them I will treat them with the same respect I show my own parents teachers, elders, arahants and even the Buddhas I will serve them all equally without difference I will be a good physician for the sick and suffering. I will lead those who have lost their way to the right road. I will be a bright light for those in the dark night and cause the poor and destitute to uncover hidden treasures. The Bodhisattva impartially benefits all living beings in this manner. So, may you see some of what you do in the world the world of being born, being sick, getting old, hopefully, and dying, uh, of what you do as a Dharma practitioner, create the conditions to, to practice. I'm going to um, give you a little handout at the end. Uh, well, the Mogalila is at the end, um, on the Brahma Viharas, and it's a reading from, it's a, it's a handout that I found on the chaplaincy website of Joan Halifax Roshi, who runs the Upaya Zen Centre in America, and she's got a lot of there's a lot of training goes on there for Buddhist healthcare chaplains. Yeah, so the pra- the point now is to practice the teachings while we're alive. And Mary Oliver, uh, there's a quote in that that I, that, that strikes me. Uh, you do, don't want to have merely visited this life. Be a bride married to amazement. You don't want to merely have just visited this life. So live the life you love. Live the Dharma. Practice the Brahma Viharas in sickness and in health. Be a friend to yourself, to others, boundlessly. And before I finish, I'm going to, again, well, a final reading. Um, intimacy, I didn't mention intimacy. Become intimate with yourself get to know yourself, yeah, and that intimacy with oneself has an effect on the way that we can relate to one another. I love, you know, the sense of exploring intimacy. Uh, Know your darkness and you'll be able to be present with another when they're experiencing darkness. And this is um, about dying. And at the end of the passage that I'm going to read, it talks about Amida Buddha and the importance of the afterlife. And basically for me, Amida is like Amitabha, and uh, you don't necessarily have to take that literally if that doesn't work for you, but just translate it into practice now. Set your goal and use each day and night to achieve it. So it's called, final, finally, um, well, I hope that I've covered uh, a response to the four sites and shown how I, hopefully, and maybe you, can live what we love by following the, the teachings from the, the Dharma and the Dharma will express itself in its own way through you. You don't have to be like him or her or 
the next person be yourself, be authentic. That's that's in the in the White Lotus Sutra. The the rain down ra- rains down the cloud rains down on these flowers, and they all have their own shape and size and smell and colour. Be that. Be your own. Yeah, Bodhisattva. <clears throat> yeah, and I want to dedicate the talk to people like Izzy's dad who are, who are dying and the families that are with them, the people around, and all beings who are suffering. So this is White Ashes um, from Renyo's Letters. White Ashes. <clears throat> when I deeply contemplate the transient nature of human life, I realise that from beginning to end, life is impermanent like an, illu- an illusion. We have not yet heard of anyone who lived 10,000 years. How fleeting is a lifetime? Who in this world today can maintain a human form for even a hundred years? There is no knowing whether I will die first or others, whether death will occur today or tomorrow. We depart one after the other more quickly than the dewdrops on the roots or the tips of the blades of grasses. So it is said. Hence, we may have radiant faces in the morning, but by evening we may turn into white ashes. Once the winds of impermanence have blown, our eyes are instantly closed and our breath stops forever. Then our radiant face changes in colour and the attractive countenance like peach and plum blossoms is lost. Family and relatives will gather and grieve, but all to no avail. Since there is nothing else that can be done, they carry the deceased out to the fields. And then what is left after the body has been cremated and has turned into the midnight smoke is just white ashes. Words fail to describe the sadness of it all. Thus, the ephemeral nature of human existence is such that death comes to young and old alike without discrimination. So, we should all quickly take to heart the matter of greatest importance of the afterlife and entrust ourselves deeply to Amida Buddha and recite the Nimbutsu, humbly and respectfully. <clears throat>